You're listening to Proropod. Welcome as we, Portia the lifelong fan and Amanda the first time reader, discover the books of Agatha Christie. We are sisters who live on opposite ends of the U.S. doing a quarantine project and who love to be soothed by British murder mysteries. In this shithole of a moment in history, it's nice to have Poirot or Miss Marple solve it all. And today we are discussing the blue train. Yeah, the mystery of the blue train. Oh, the mystery of the blue train. Sorry, yeah. I was getting informal. Yeah. Um, um, which is a Praro mystery. And it's much more like Praro style than the big four crap. <laughs> yes. We are now up to 1928. Yep. Um, I think she wrote it in 27. Okay. You always know all these things. Yeah. Um, yeah. According to agathachristie.com, she wrote it in early 27. And of course, it was after her husband leaving her um, in 26. And apparently, her mom died in 26. So she had a crappy year in 1926. And then she wrote this. And it was an expansion of a short story from the 1923 collection of Poirot stuff um, called the Plymouth Express. It's basically the same um, basic plot point in terms of like how the crime was done. But all the okay. stuff around I didn't read that one. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it had somebody who was on a train who was killed and who made was with her and something was stolen. Okay. Um, but everything around the story was much, much bigger. Now, I have a question when it comes to themes. I know we have characters next, but let's do themes first. Do you feel like when you're reading these from now times, do you feel like the things that she says sometimes would be super offensive, but then you remember she's a woman, so you, stop, so you don't get mad? Like, the way <laughs> that she is always like, she wasn't pretty. She would never get a date, but she had nice eyes. Or she was 33 and hideous. Like, or And sometimes she does it through a character where sometimes it's like Hastings doing it, but sometimes it's literally the narrator who's just like, this woman's worth is not much because she's not very conventionally attractive. But we'll talk about her anyway because of this reason. And I was like, there's always reasons where I'm always like super cringy, especially because when I'm audio reading, it's a male narrator. And then I have to remember a woman wrote it. And I'm like, okay, I'll allow it. Oh, really? The audiobooks? Because I haven't been able to get the audiobooks at all. So I've been. Uh, they're, they're, written by, uh, uh, they're said by a male reader. Yeah, and there's one that does a lot of them, so he's becoming very familiar. He's great at doing the different voices. But because he, I think it's probably because a lot of them are narrated by Hastings or another man so it makes sense that it's a male narrator but the things that the way that she judges women and their appearance is just like well, even the way Hastings said, like objectify people even though he's not in this one sometimes you're just like cringe and then you're like well a woman wrote it so I'll allow it well, <laughs> but in this one, like, she mentions 33 year old women a couple times because Papadopoulos's daughter is 33 and the and Catherine is 33 yeah, yeah. well and what's is you know she says Catherine isn't very attractive but 
Catherine literally has almost everyone say, oh my God, did you see her eyes? And then she has two men who fall in love with her. So I- And two men who don't typically fall in love with people. Like one is like a confirmed playboy, whatever. The other one is a, you know, mastermind criminal. So they don't fall for people, but they both fall in for her despite her not being that great to look at. Like, why was it so important to point out that she wasn't a great beauty? Well, I wonder if, yeah, I wonder if, because I I think the description of Catherine, um, first of all, you know, I'm wondering if Agatha Christie just didn't know how to describe regular looking people who were beautiful in different ways than the conventional beauty. You know what I mean? Probably. I think I'm showing my own bias in this because I get really personally offended when people like rate people on a one to 10 scale. Cause I'm like, there's somebody for everybody. Right. And everybody looks great under certain circumstances. And when, so when we do this like objective, you're gorgeous, you're not things like it just hurts me, but right. that's, that's an aside. That's like a me thing. Right. But there's but something like, that she seems to do in every book where she right. does that for the women only, of course, where the women are like, this is how attractive this person is. So you know, you, so you know how much you know value to give to their life. <laughs> well, I, as I recall, she did it both for Tommy and Tuppence. Oh yeah, you're right. You know, with Tommy, I think she did rate him more. Most other than than that, most of the time the men don't get valued in that way. But you're right with Tup with Tommy, she did. Yeah, but I think that you know, so it's interesting because um, trying to describe how people look. But then it's like, you know, like, does she mean she's not conventionally pretty, but she's strike, you know, like, I don't know, because I think that you're right. This, you know, hot or not description is just (laughs) right. It's very hot or not. (laughs) It's not helpful, but especially since, you know, after hearing other people react to Catherine, I'm like, well, clearly she's beautiful. Everyone um, keeps falling for her. She's got these amazing eyes. Everyone's falling in love with her. But then when we're set up with her, we're meant to know that she ain't no beauty. Which is, you know, which is now you're like, well, Agatha, that you're clearly lying, you know, but maybe because Catherine is the character that we identify with the most because she's not Poirot and she's, um, I think that we were supposed to think she was just a regular person. You know, like, and maybe that's why she said it, because I think she was just like, well, people like her eyes. Right. And then you'll think to be like, she's a regular old Jane like you and me. Right. This could happen to you too, but it doesn't really come across that way to a modern audience, at least. So, yeah. So, let's go back and we're going to discuss our character. So, we have the QQ Paro, who we love, who is our detective of the story. And he was on the train, which is why he, because he keeps saying he's retired, which is yeah. This whole time, this entire series that we've been through, he's been retired this whole time, but always solving the crimes. Right. Um, and then so, what the on this train? Apparently, everybody is on this train. Is um, this Catherine person we were just talking about? Catherine who, Gray, uh, who also has gray eyes, no relation. <laughs> so she's 33 which of course in 28 is probably like oh my god you're so old how you've never had a husband um but, but in now times it's your jesus year so right. you, you just right. getting started right and then um 
And so she was working as a companion to an uh, ornery old woman who apparently everyone else would quit and leave because she was terrible. But she was with her for 10 years, calmed her little ass down and worked with her really well. And so this old lady left her a ton of money when she passed away. And so interestingly enough, Agatha Christie was born in 1890. This book was written in uh, 27. So she would have been 37 and (laughs) getting a divorce. Right. So thinking about like, oh my God, I'm so old. I'm, you know, getting a divorce. You know, what does that mean? She does write sexuality and relationships in for women in their 30s in this book. Right. So, you know... And then we have, um, so Catherine Gray comes into this money. She gets a nasty gram from some random husbands of the lady who dies, hu- husband who already died, who was like, oh dear, this is a mistake. We'll sue you. And she was like, nice try. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I'm rich. But bitch. she also was like super sweet about it and threw them some money anyway. Right. She was like, I'm going to send him some some ducats. And the lawyers were like, don't do it. It'll just make him worse. And she still did it because she's a good person. Yeah, she's nice. And then she also hears from a cousin that she has who is of the aristocracy, who is like, oh, you came into some money. Now you're interesting to me. Don't you want to come? So that's Lady Tamplin. Tamplin. Who... So she is of the aristocracy. She has a name and a title and all this stuff. And I think she's on her third or fourth husband by now. Fourth husband where it was like money, money, title, and then just fun. Yeah. So she, yeah, she's married all the times for wealth and, and for titles. And now she has a boy toy who's much younger than her. And before she invites this cousin who just came into money, she wants to make sure that she's not going to steal her boy toy from her. But she's like, nah, she won't steal him. So I'll invite her. And then she's got a daughter, Lennox, which is like the most aristocratic white lady name you ever heard. But she (laughs) is like, she's hilarious. And I'm guessing, because they never say how old she is, but I'm guessing that she's in her late teens, early 20s. Yeah, she seems like that. And they also make sure to let us know that she's awkward and masculine or weird in some way like she's not attractive and we need to know that too well no but i thought see i thought that description was different i thought maybe tamplin is like i am a beauty and i do all the things to be a beauty even though she's in her mid-40s and then her daughter's like i don't wear makeup i don't do any of these things i don't get dressed up in kind of a like oh she's a young portia oh see i took it as because there's a point when Catherine comes and like Catherine had gone to like the right salons and gotten the nice french clothes and lennox was like i love clothes but i can't wear them because i'm hideous oh because the i but you're right but she does kind of have the attitude of like so you guys as listeners don't know this but when portia was in high school she had an active subscription to ms magazine before you know feminism was a big thing for people in high school um (laughs) she didn't shave her legs she was very militant feminist um as a young person so i could see that that like that lennox sort of has that iconography of like i'm not gonna do these things i'm different in reaction to her mom i i saw it less as me as more like our mom and doing it as a reaction to her on like i don't do tie my hair or wear makeup or do earrings or all of the things 
you're yeah. right because yet yeah, you were not a reaction to your mother because she was like yeah why would you do any of those things i don't know right. those either <laughs> so but, i yeah. was the one who rebelled and was like i'm gonna wear lipstick and everyone was like yeah. horrified yeah exactly yeah another story is how portia finally got her ears pierced in college uh yep. yeah okay but anyway um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, okay like, so we've got lady tamplin and lennox and i i, I also kind of appreciate it because lennox when lady tamplin is like "Ooh, catherine how you doing let's go find all of your famous friends and lennox would go ignore my mother she's doing a thing and catherine yeah, he's like, very aware of her mother being money grubbing and like yeah she's just very aware and she wants to protect catherine from her mom and then she realizes she doesn't have to right but and her mom was money grubbing and fame fame grubbing but she was totally upfront about it in this way that where she's just like hey you were on the train where the murder happened let's go hang out with those people that's fun well that's you don't dislike her because like she's like i'm inviting you over because you came into money now before you were my random cousin who was broke so why would i invite you but now you have money so come I'll right. invite you to society. You can come to the right parties, meet the right people. And like, and then, yeah, she's, she's just very transparent and you're not mad at her for it. Right. Like, like kind of works on her. Yeah, exactly. She's not mean. So yeah. Catherine is sort of the heroine of the story who doesn't die, but she happens to take a train with a woman who does die, who is Ruth Kettering. And Ruth is probably around the same age for all we know. I don't think we get, we got her age, but she is a young woman who is married and she is the daughter of an American millionaire, Mr. Van Alton, who seems to live in London ish. No, I thought it, that he lived in America still. I think that he lived in America. She lived in London. Okay. But, but he was coming to visit her. Golly, I'm just going to visit my daughter here in London because I want to use this accent so that I can tell everyone how Americans talk. And then um, he, um, that's why he had... Was good, you can give me anything for that. Yeah, that was good. Um, <laughs> that uh, he, uh, he had to get a temporary British secretary. Right. He already had like two secretaries, but he was like, I want this one because they know how to like do all the British society things. Right. So, so there's Mr. Van Alton, Mr. American Millionaire, Ruth Kettering, who is married, which is why her name is Kettering, to Derek Kettering, who, who basically is, has a title. Right. He will be Lord Lincolnberry. Right. So he's got a bunch. He's got a title, but he's broke. So they married, and it sounds like they married. She married because she um, had fallen in love with a horrible person. And her dad was like, and I think she was super young. And her dad was like, no, 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 no. That guy's horrible. You have to do something else. So she found somebody else. And then Derek married because he was like, well, she seems really nice. I'm going to settle down, which he totally didn't because he didn't, they didn't actually love each other when they got married. And so, of course, it went. Which was basically the reason that um, uh, I can relate. <laughs> my second marriage my wife was like i'm gonna be a good person and settle down and um was sort of like uh Derek kettering intending to be better than they were 
Just saying. It happens. It happens. <laughs> that seems realistic. And like, you know, at this point, Agatha's writing from some life experience or marriage and divorce and stuff. So like she kind of understands that sometimes it's not always a love match, which is a term they use. Right. Um, sometimes it's like you want this title, you intend to be, you know, put your player days behind you. Which is kind of how Derek owns up to the fact that like he intended put his being a playboy behind him, get married, be a good guy, then it just didn't work out. But also, he kind of points out, at least, I don't know how true it is, but he says that, like, basically, she treats him like, I bought you, you have to do what I say. Right, which is not a great way to start. Which is not great. So basically, now they're both cheating. So he's got this morel dancer that he's cheating with, who's probably just the most recent one. And then she's got the Comte de la Roche that she's been... Right, which is the guy that she was in love with 10 years ago. And he's like, like this he's like, this- let me use you for whatever reasons. And she's like, oh, you're so romantic because my husband is dating this dancer. So sure, like, just a hot mess. It's a hot mess. So they're just, it's not going well. And then when this all starts, the dad, she's complaining to her dad about my husband's no good. She doesn't tell dad about the boyfriend or whatever like ex that she's flirting with or whatever she's just like my husband's no good he's running around with this dancer and so mr van alton's like well you gotta divorce him because i talk like john wayne (laughs) (laughs) and then she's like okay dad and so she's about to divorce her husband and that's when she dies so you're like ah the husband did it because otherwise he's gonna be broke if she divorced him but wait, wait, wait. We haven't talked about the fact that when Rufus Van Elden arrived in Europe, he decided it was a good idea to go to Paris and buy rubies that are apparently worth half a million pounds. And he did this like from these this was and this is our, our first um transition into uh awkward racial themes of the book. Bought them underground from some Russian people who were um describe I'm using so I'm using here about like Mongolian caste and yeah. just a lot of stereotypes or I don't even know if they're stereotypes because it's not my era, but like just images of people who are Eastern European slash maybe a little bit Asian slash that implies they're into sex work slash in the underground slash yeah so the the, the guy it's, she describes him um, as a face like a rat that's not great and then um that's not to say about people and then the woman she says she has a mongolian cast and there's no doubt about her profession nor of her nationality and then she describes them both as Russian. And I was but like, she just came in the room and was there during the interaction. So it's like, what is her profession? So you're like, when you said it right before we started recording, like when you say that, there's no doubt about her profession. And it's a woman. You assume she's a Supreme court justice <laughs> <laughs> or maybe a sex worker, right? Like you're obviously assuming she's saying that she's a sex worker, but she didn't do any sex work in the theme in the scene. She just is there right like kind of no reason like she i yeah and and so i was saying i don't know enough about these stereotypes to understand the reference when she said no doubt of her profession nor of her nationality it's like wait a minute 
do I have to learn some more pre- uh, you know. <laughs> some more prejudices to understand yeah, what's supposed to be implied here? But it's such a brief uh, scene. I mean, these they're not in any of the rest of the book. But this is where the American goes, some underground place in, in Paris? Yeah, and then when he leaves, he gets attacked by, and this is a word that they use several times, Apaches. And then we looked up, I looked it up, and Merriam-Webster has the third definition of Apache, besides, of course, um, the Native Americans in uh, from the Southwest. They say that in France, y- using from the word Apache that, you know, did come from um, the American word, but they used it to use the, for the term criminal gangs, specifically in Paris. Now, why they, that ended up happening? Like, who in Paris decided that, you know what's a good word to call the criminal gangs here? Well, there was, there was French colonialism in the States as well. Yeah, but not Before nowhere near the Southwest. Like, Yeah, but somehow that term got back to Europe and to France, apparently, and they used Apache. Yeah, specifically. Was, yeah. And then there was a, you couldn't tell, it didn't exactly seem anti-semitic but anytime anyone brings it you're just like oh we're skipping on thin ice here when she oh, like brings yeah, yeah. later <laughs> when we like jewish yeah it's like wait a minute are you what <sighs> yeah there was a little dance there well, and she's like your people don't forget and you're like well i mean that's probably true because you know it's probably better for jewish people that they don't forget um but wait, still it's awkward for paro to be saying this to this greek jewish guy and to like call him out on being jewish when it wasn't like Right. It's like, I'm not referring to you being Greek. I'm referring to the other thing. Da, da, da. Like, right. Ah, like, it was, yeah, that was fringy. Yeah. <laughs> but but she didn't go anywhere beyond that. Besides that, your people remember. But there's the whole your people thing. Right. Just, yeah, it was just cringy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so wait. So we have we haven't gotten so um uh right. So that was. The- we've introduced most of the characters yes but we the- haven't met um a couple of other minor characters like uh dr van or dr mr van alden's secretary who is van alden was like hey you seem to understand this british stuff this society stuff why don't you be my secretary i already have 17 but you'd be the next one and what's interesting is of course he was hired two months ago and they mentioned that a couple times right um we meet um a a uh, detective named mr goby briefly oh, right right that made all the hires to follow people um a yeah a um a, an agent i don't know and ruth has a maid ada right who and- also dun 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 spoiler was hired two months ago. Um, so that also gets mentioned. By the way, was the agent, the theatrical agent, um, also the one that was mentioned in um, uh, Murder on the Links? Because he was the one who found Cinderella and her sister. Oh, it probably is the same one. She does yeah. like to use the same characters. I like that if that's true. Yeah. And then um, the jewelry de- dealer who kind of is a super secret jewelry dealer who um, Perot's known for a long time, but he's the guy who's going to be the broker for these uh, rubies once they're stolen. Yeah, and Mr. 
Papopopoulos and his daughter, who happened to be Jewish. Right, and yeah, that's because Poirot tries to get them to help out and kind of give them hints because they're buying, you know, stolen goods. And they're like, we don't really want to tell you because we're like... fully blackmails them twice. And it's like, it's not blackmail. I'm just saying, I've helped you out before. You should help me out now. I won't do anything if you don't, but just be a good person since I've helped you out before. And I thought he should have just gone with like, hey, this lady died and her dad is sad and your daughter and her dad. Help me out, man. But the line, but that's when he says the line of like, your race does not forget. And he was like, he does use race. But they they use race a lot for nationality, which is, again, none none of these things are real. And then he goes, me as a Greek? And he goes, no, the other one. And that's where you're like, <laughs> I, I it's uh, so yeah. <laughs> so those are all the characters. Now, um, the crime itself was fairly simple because Ruth got on the train. She ended up well. Having- so she lied to her dad. She oh, said she's going to Paris, but she lied and was at, or she was supposed to be going to the Riviera, but she was actually going to Paris with Boo, and so oh, she. No, 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 no. That's what the maid told her. She was supposed to be going to the one place in the Riviera, but she t- but she lied to her dad and she was going to a different place in the Riviera. Okay, I didn't understand any of this. Oh, right, because there was a fake lie that the fake maid told. Right, right. right. So basically, what did happen is that she lied to her dad about where she was going because while well, she's in the midst of like him telling her to divorce her husband because he's cheating, she's also planning to cheat with her ex-boo. And she's writing her letters about like, hey, I can't wait to see you and your necklace. Right. And your new rubies. <laughs> Bring um, those rubies because I'm writing a book about rubies and I would just love to see those. Also, you're great. Right. And so she totally lied to her dad. And then she feels bad about it. And so Catherine's on the train. She's just gotten to um, the Riviera because she's like just got in this money and so she gets right. so Catherine's like her first time doing rich people things. She's on the rich people train. She's going to the Riviera. She's meeting up with her rich cousins and she meets sits across from this woman who's like tortured rich lady who's not newly being rich. And so the tortured rich lady starts telling Catherine her problems and that's when Catherine was like, wow, I leave this small town and where people told me their problems and what's the first thing that happens? Is this rich lady is like, let me open up to you because you seem like a good listener. And her Catherine internal like, dialogue is hilarious. And I understand that because I'm a little bit of that person when she's just like, everywhere I go, people tell me their things and then they feel awkward afterwards. Oh, I know, I know exactly right. how this is going to go down. And I'm like, oh, girl, I get it. That that description about <laughs> how when someone you don't know opens up to you and then you have a nice conversation, but then afterwards it's like, um, so yeah let's never run into each other again because i opened up to you and i'm we're not friends like that and so now i just feel vulnerable every time i look at you so i'm i'm out (laughs) which i feel like must be the british reaction because i think i'm a little bit of that person sometimes that people open up to and then it's not awkward they just keep doing it i'm like i have to avoid you now because i i don't i can't do this i don't what it reminded me of is like when you stay up late at night with someone and you have this conversation where you're like, because I can like a camp or college where you're like, 
oh my God, that's so true. And I totally relate. And then the next day, because so in the middle of the night, you're just like, oh my God, we connect on this like deep level. And then the next day you're like, um, (laughs) I don't, I know I said that we were like BFFs and we were, but, but now I, now it's weird. No, it's just weird. And I just love that because she was like, great. I yeah, it's actually very well written the way that she's sort of like, oh, great. This rando lady is going to pour her out to me. And then like when they describe the action, she's just like, oh, you seem troubled. Tell me all about it. But like her <laughs> internal dialogue, which as we were going to talk about, like it's a third person narrator who has insight into lots of different characters, which is interesting in this one. Right. Not just one character. But the narrator definitely gives us insight into um, in, into her being like, oh, great, please pour your heart out to me, awkward lady. This is going to go terrible, and I already know it. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, but it sounds like the, pouring the heart out went fine, and Ruth came to a decision and felt better about whatever, but we still don't yeah, like She wasn't just like, do whatever you think is best. She's like, you know that's some bullshit. You know you shouldn't do that. Like, you don't even know this woman. You don't know anything about her situation. And the first thing you said, it was like, I mean, that sounds like a hot mess. I wouldn't do it if I were you. And I was like, right. okay, go to Catherine. Like, she wasn't shy. I thought her being like, I don't know if I should even, you know, talk to this lady. And she'd be like, well, whatever you think is best. you know. But she was not impartial at all. She was like, that's a hot mess and you know it. And I was like, okay. Stranger I've known for two minutes. Right. But I mean, it's good. You need those people who could just right. see through but um, for someone who was a little bit apprehensive about the whole thing, she just spoke the truth. And I was like, okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, then, you know, she thought that the lady got out of meeting her and being awkward by staying in a room to eat. But it turns out... She got she- out of it by being dead already. Right, but she was killed pretty quick <laughs> after that. And then- what happened, you know, spoiler, is that her maid pretended to be the lady through a, a couple of stops so that everybody could say that she was alive. And then the nighttime happened and put she put the dead lady in the bed and then she um, got off and went back to Paris and then was like, oh, she told me to get off in Paris. So everybody thought that the lady uh, that Ruth was killed later. So she right. basically moved. Um, she moved the time of death a day right. earlier. Um, and then it turns out that the secretary that was hired by the American rich American um, two months ago, and both of them got their job right after the rich American started negotiating to buy these rubies because that's all they were after. Um, but they, it was a long con for them to like set this up to be working for these two people who were, you know, not together all the, you know, time. What I was bringing to you, bringing up to you before we started recording is like, when does the long con end? Because there's a point at which the husband who didn't do it goes to jail for it. And we don't, I don't know how trials and stuff work, but I don't know if he's been tried or if he's just in jail waiting trial, but it seems like time has passed. And the secretary who did do it because he is the secret marquise who's a 
you know, filthy, but who's been impersonating the secretary just to get into this position with the American guy. Um, he's the one who did it, but he, you know, the, the husband has gone to jail instead. But he's still working as a secretary for the American. And to me, it's like once the other guy goes to prison, I got the rubies. I'm going to find a polite way to resign from my post and not keep working as a secretary. Like, how long is the con? But again, maybe maybe I'm misinterpreting how long it was supposed to have been. Right. Well, well, let's, because what happened, you know, so uh, what we don't know, realize, um, but everybody was on this train. Ruth was on the train. Catherine was on the train. Derek was on the train. Ruth's husband. His girlfriend was on the train. None of them were together. Right. Um, And then, of course, the maid who did it and the secretary who did it. Um, And so. Right. And there's a point at which. So. There's a point where the police think the husband did it. But me as a reader going through it the first time, I thought. The husband's girlfriend did it. So she, her name is Marcel. Is that right? Morel. Morel. So Morel has been dating the husband of this rich lady. And when he's like, hey, she's going to divorce me. She's like, well, it'd be a shame if she got killed before she divorced you. And you got all her money and could buy me a bunch of stuff. And he was like, that's fucked up. I'm out of here. But she seems a little bit cutthroat. And... Um, she, she did tell him he was like if i get divorced i'm broke and she's like well you're nice but i'm expensive so bye she literally said that i'm expensive so yeah so she's like clearly like about the money and she basically said you know people have accidents so it seemed very much on her mind that killing the wife and she enough. knew the rubies we, she knew about the- on the train. we know she knows about the rubies so for a while, I'm thinking it's her because she's sort of like setting it up to look like it's him. She's accusing him. And I'm like, okay, it's definitely her. And then there's this thing where Poirot talks to this talent agent who's like, oh, yeah, this person who was a male impersonator, you know, has been off the market for three years. Don't know where she went, but this dancer popped up two and a half years ago, not relating those two things at all. So I'm like, oh, my God. She's amazing. She's a drag king. Now she's a ballet dancer. Then she kills people in drag and steals her rubies. I love this book. That's not what happened at all. Right. It was, <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. But so she didn't set it up. The kitty kit, who was the drag king, who stabbing a drag king was just faking to be a maid so that she could dress up as a dude for two seconds to get off the train. And I was like, that was so close to being really cool. But then just, I mean, I know it's the 20s. But still. but still, the fact that he bought like- this kitty kit character and it was going very tipping the velvet and I got excited. <laughs> right. Well, and so I guess because the question about the con, because obviously when they first set up the con, when the, the plan, they just had, they told everybody that Ruth told her maid to get off in Paris because a man showed up in her compartment and they were super vague about who the man was. And I couldn't really tell if they were trying to frame her boyfriend, trying to frame random person, because it clearly didn't occur to them to frame the ex. 
until later and they're like oh the ex was on the train oh it was definitely him right but yeah that wasn't part of their master plan he's just a dumbass who bumbled into being framed and ended up going to jail for it and you know what's interesting is he was a you know described as charming but a rogue and he knew he was a rogue and he you know like um so it was interesting because it felt way too much like because sometimes she does this where she's um like this is clearly the bad guy um and you're like well so clearly it's not Mm -hmm. you're just like way over the top saying he there's so many clues against him so many clues against him so many clues against him and it's not us that if everything adds up against the person they're not guilty Right. And so that's one of the things that she definitely likes to do. So I was like, well, clearly he didn't do it, even though he was broke. Uh, he didn't really like his wife. She was divorcing him. If he did divorce, uh, get divorced, then his girlfriend would leave him. Um, and, you know, so it was like. Yeah, was all these things. And he was on the train. Um, but. He, they also, you know, kept talking about how he was nice and Lennox, of all people, really liked him because they were cousins or something. Is that right? I, yeah, I couldn't, I don't know if they were cousins or if it was just like aristocracy play cousins. Right. Yeah. But <laughs> anyway, so Lennox had known him her whole life and because I, you know, but I think she was like 10 to 15 years younger than him, but she, she liked him. Yeah. Um he was a seemed like a a a rogue but a nice person, you know, which right. was an interesting thing. Um Yeah, and then, that's what we didn't talk about was that was so in this whole plot after the murder, Catherine Gray, who is not the one who was killed, the other woman, who is um been a nurse and just come into this money, basically both the secretary, um and the husband of the dead woman. So the secretary is Knighton. Uh-huh. Ooh. Firework? Firework. And a heart attack for me. <laughs> it's but we're yeah, recording the big this, one. Oh, uh, we're recording this on July 3rd. Oh. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> this is all fine. We're living in a police state and now there's a now there's a fireworks like yeah. that did you hear how that was did it break yeah. the thing yeah. oh my gosh okay okay that's 1920s <laughs> um so knighton who's the secretary of the the rich american guy who seems like a very like he's he's a war veteran he's got a limp he seems super responsible all the references of the narrator are about how he's so responsible and he's trying to force mr Ben Alden back to work and he's just like a very responsible guy right so that's Knighton and then Kettering who's the husband of a dead woman both of them seem to be sweet on Catherine Gray and they're both kind of flirting with her and Praro is picking up on the fact that they're both into her and then at at one point like um, after she'd been staying on the Riviera for a while both of them came up to um her and basically said yeah i love you and they did it in two different ways but in the same moment yeah right where it's like um derek is like you know you're gonna bring me bad luck and then um knighton comes up and 
stumbles around and is super shy and is super like, well, I just, you know, really think you're kind of cool and, you know, maybe I could see you sometime kind of thing. <laughs> and and as you were pointing out when we were talking before that like, it's like kind of like the bad guy, the good guy, like, you know, which one should the girl go for? Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that it's a love triangle um, because I know that um, she often has a love story in her mysteries, but this is an interesting thing to have a love triangle. Mm-hmm. Two men are going for her, but one is literally like his wife was the one who was killed and he was cheating on her. And he although, may or may not have killed her. <laughs> and although it's interesting because after the dancer was like, well, I didn't want to hang out with you if you don't have any money, but your wife could have an accident. He kind of goes, ew. Uh, yeah like no, right he after. dropped her after that he was like you're talking about killing her which is totally different than her divorcing me like i can cheat on her but i'm not gonna kill her also you only are literally with me for my wife's money so right yeah he kind of dropped he drops the dancer at that point like he's and like then, nah and then the rest of the book she spends being pissed off at him because of that um and trying to frame him for the murder or at least getting him in trouble for it uh, there was another moment of like French versus British because obviously these are a lot of British and a few American people hanging out in the French Riviera mm-hmm. and Morel is French and so when um, Derek is like no get away from me you know I don't want you even though now my wife is dead I have money she, he's like yeah I know she's like how dare you get away from me and she starts smashing things in her own apartment and there's a scene where Perot is like, that's hilarious. And Knighton is super British. And he's like staring at her with cold British disapproval. <laughs> and, you know, it's just like the British versus um, French temperament. Car- culture, right. I think and again, I don't know enough about british slash french relations or stereotypes to know like if that's offensive from a french lens because she's a british writer writing this like dancer who's just overcome with her emotions you know what i mean like it's it's, i don't know if that's offensive from a french lens or if they're just like oh those stiff british people you know what i mean i'm not sure if that's just right normal discourse or if that's offensive i don't know right right so it's kind of interesting because knighton is pumped up so much as the good guy and then it turns out that he's this marquee jewel thief the whole time like he's been stealing because they talk about him getting a war injury in lady tamplin's hospital back during the war so obviously 10 years earlier and there was jewels stolen then and then right. since then at multiple places right so he basically ends up being like an innocent seeming respectable guy who happens to be where all these jewelry are missing yeah um and he happens to be there but it turns so the respectable guy turns out not to be respectable at all yeah he's both the jewel thief and also a murderer because do we understand why how he met kitty kit who was the performer slash male impersonator who yeah now came out to be his sidekick we don't know anything about that right no like how they hooked up no um that's why i feel like that one didn't quite work because you wanted this person was like because the 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 agent was like she was amazing she was the best entertainer she was a male impersonator she was amazing and then she just left three years ago and then i don't know if she just 
fell for the Marquise. Like right. how they didn't really give it a reason that why she would give up her life. And even like I felt like the 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 maid character, who she was, right? So she's made to this rich American woman. She didn't really need all that stage training. She didn't need to be a male impersonator. She didn't need to like to impersonate a, a woman of your same build and just be like, I am talking like a fat person now. <laughs> and then to walk off the train wow, in an overcoat like a man. And that was not great because I am not a, a professional entertainer. But I'm just saying, like, they, they sort of like built up all this, like she's got all this entertainment experience. Right. And I was like, all she did to, was, yeah, act because- put on the fur coat and then put on a man's trench coat and walk off the train like a dude. And I was like, I feel like the, all of her skills seemed to go to waste and you couldn't see what was in it for her because she wasn't even in love with Marquise because now he's in love with Catherine. So what is she getting out of this? Well, presumably half of the money from the rubies. Yeah. But yeah, I, I do feel like her the maid was underutilized, underexplained, because I also, also felt like it was a little bit cheating when Poro at the end of the book goes to the theatrical agent and he was like oh by the way there's this actress okay so that's what i thought when i reread it today to prepare for this you know when you read it for the first time you're like looking for the clues and you're like could i have figured this out so in rereading it i was like okay that's a piece of information we didn't even have right the whole time like like normally and like you in that in that um intro that you read um to the to the plays or they're just like when you look back at the book and you're like ah i could have seen it i couldn't have seen that because you know what i mean like that's felt like it was thrown and like in maybe these ones that are transitioned from short story to novel might have that piece but i was like well that's not fair because we didn't know that right it did feel like and it didn't actually matter that much because the maid could pretend to be again like i'm saying you don't have to have stage experience like i thought to have it be that big of a thing to throw in at the end then I thought the Marquis should have been a woman in drag. Right. That- to have it be that big. Otherwise, it's like, okay, well, she pretended for two seconds to be a dude while she got off the train. You don't need right. professional training for that. You don't need... Right? Right. So, uh, yeah, so that, I, I agree. And then, then the other thing that, you know, as you pointed out, so they do this long con, they get the rubies, they sold them already. Papapopoulos uh, has already gotten them when Perot is like, so, you know, uh, if you want to help me out because I know things about you and you don't forget and I was really nice to you in the past or whatever. Um, I'm not blackmailing you. I'm just bringing up the fact that you're Jewish. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but like, okay. he's, already, he's already bought the rubies from the Marquis. And so... Derek, and sold them again. Yeah, and then Derek... Um, yeah, because Morel totally starts going out with a greek guy Morel's dubu yeah um and it was because she really wants the ruby um which is why we she definitely was should have been a suspect but um uh but derek ends up being arrested and the rubies have already been sold so then yeah why is it that knighton is still working as a secretary and then what happens is that Catherine gets kind of almost proposed to by both of the men and then she has suspicions of both of them and she's super secretive too like she doesn't really say which one she thinks uh kind of like perot and then um her 
um, the best friend or a good friend of the woman that she took care of back in her small town um, is got cancer. And so she goes back to the small town to take care of this woman, I think basically to be a hospice person. Like they don't yeah. say that, but like, well, they kind of imply that like, she was like, okay, so I'm rich now, but life is weird. So let me just go back to like taking care of old people. Cause I've been doing that my entire life. And that right. feels more comfortable than just living a life of leisure, which I kind of get. I mean, well, I have never like, come into a ton of funny, but if I did, I feel like there might be a piece of me that'd be like, I'm going to still go back and work in the hospital. <laughs> like, I get that, right? And also, like, two different men just proposed to me. and I got a lot going on. I, 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 let's take a step back. One of them is probably a murderer, if not both of them. <laughs> right, right, yeah. And so, um, but yeah, the Knighton is still working for... The- the American. It's like, well, why didn't he go, okay, bye. I'm going to take a new post now, and my new post is living in luxury as the secret marquee and now, spending my ruby money. is that um, um, because when he, when Perot, and Perot also, the way he, he does the explanation, does the super dramatic thing where he makes the guy take the train that his... I had to listen to that part, like, four times to understand why that was necessary. Like... It was not necessary. It's basically... So, the husband has gone to jail. Everyone's gone back to life. Like, this is the end of things. And the American father of the woman who died is like, well, that happened. I guess it's okay. But, like, nothing's great. And then Prara pops back up again and the American dad who hired him was sort of like, well, why is this guy fucking with me again? My dad, my daughter's dead. The husband's in jail. Everything sucks. And then he like takes him on a train ride to sort of reenact what happened but he's sort of like lying the whole time about what's going to happen and it's so dramatic and you don't understand why that is necessary. Like why couldn't he just go to their office and say Mr. Secretary, you're the murderer, and here's how I know. Like, I couldn't figure out how the train proved anything, and it was just, like, re-traumatizing this man. Totally. That his daughter was killed on this train, and he's like, let's take the train? Yeah, I thought it was... And then he's like, we have to get out from Paris. Just kidding. No, we don't. And then, and like, it was this whole thing. Like, all these fake-outs that Praro does. Right, and it was like Praro wanted to show that you could get off and back on ba- back on the train while it was in the station so that's how Knighton did it is he came on killed her and then he left and went back to work for uh Van Alden but you could have also just been like the train stops for 12 minutes like right. you didn't have to like put the man through that yeah i thought it was cruel and it didn't seem like because he went through that practice that it got Knighton to admit to something he otherwise wouldn't admit to, right? Like, wasn't it just to do it? Because I was like, the reason you do those kind of things is because you're trying to get the murderer to admit to something that they you don't have proof of. Right, right. And so, yeah, I thought that was super dumb. Because then after they arrest Knighton, and then the end of the book is, you know, Poirot talking to Van Alden about the details about um you know how he figured it out and all that happened and why couldn't he have just done that why couldn't he just go to their office and be like that guy's under arrest and here's why right right 
yeah, I couldn't figure out why that was necessary. And it, it felt very dramatic. And it also felt like it was delayed a long time. I mean, they didn't really give us a sense of time, but we know that, like, Kate Gray has moved back to her small town and all these things have kind of gone back to, like, status quo. So we know it's been a while since the husband was arrested. So, like, why did Paro take so long to do his magic? Yeah. So, I guess I, the only thing um, that I was trying to figure out, and I was looking at the very end when he was doing the description, is did he stick around with Van Alden because he fell in love with Miss Gray, really? Like, um, well, that was supposed to be, that was a plot point. Was it like he actually fell in love with Miss Gray? So he was actually trying to get in with her, even though he was the murderer and the jewel thief. But now he loves her because of her amazing eyes, even though she ain't nothing to look at. <laughs> but but why does he have to stay on as a secretary to win her love? Like, is he just like, I'm going to be a respectful man now? Yeah, I mean... I got my ruby money and now I'm going to earn your oh, love? Yeah. He said he fell genuinely in love with Miss Gray and suspected that she liked Derek Kettering. So that's why he really tried to saddle, she uses the word saddle, um, tried to frame um, Derek Kettering because he's like basically in the love triangle. He's like, I want to make sure that this that guy was arrested. But, but then yeah. that happened. So why, yeah, why didn't he, yeah, why if he made hundreds of thousands of pounds from selling the rubies, why did he stay on as the secretary? Because Catherine had stayed in the Riviera, gone through this whole thing, gone back, and was staying with the the, the old lady Ooh. at Saint Mary Mead. Yeah, and then um, and then Knighton even came and visited her there. And this is one of my favorite things in this whole book was when he visited because um, the woman she was staying with. And was like, oh yeah, this guy is coming. Um, um, uh, coming to visit, and um, oh yeah, and she's like, she's just he's just after your money, boo. You're old. Yeah, you ain't nothing to look at. Money. You're old. He's just after your money. Right, and then yeah, I was wrong about this is the quote. I was wrong about that young man of yours. A man when he is making up to anybody can be cordial and gallant and full of little attentions and altogether charming. But when a man is really in love, he can't help looking like a sheep. Now, whenever that young man looked at you, he looked like a sheep. I take back all I said this morning. It is genuine. And So that's you know, how you know. That's, that's how you how know, you listeners. Know. Someone but... looks like a sheep when they look at you. Honestly, it's probably pretty unhealthy and you should move away from that. But according to Agatha Christie... <laughs> but what's interesting is it's genuinely love, but post or in the middle of divorcing Agatha was love enough? No, because he was also a murderer. Right, right. So he did generally love her, but he was a thief and a multiple murderer. And like I think we I think we found out that Prowell points out that like this wasn't the first killing he'd killed before in order to steal. Yeah, that the Marquis had done. Yeah. Um the other interesting thing and you know I like this better than the big four. And I mean, it's, and I, I, I'm saying critical things just because that's what we do, but like, it's a good book. It's so much better than the big four. But she has, because I felt like Derek Kettering and the Comte de Roche 
didn't sound that different. I mean, Derek mm-hmm. Ketting, Kettering was aristocracy, um, broke aristocracy, who was British. Comte de Roche was fake aristocracy, who was... He just sounded like a, what do you call it? Like a, in a Dirty Rotten Scoundrels where they like play a role to like right, make women right. feel a certain way. Like I will be this like, he's basically the 1920s Nigerian prince, right? right? Like that's, that's what that, that's what he sounded like. I mean, they're all again after women for their money, but like in different ways, like there's the rich playboy or not rich playboy, but like the well-born playboy who's actually broke, who will marry you for your money, but he's got the title and stuff. And, and then there's the Rose. one who's who just like literally comes from nothing and who's just literally a scam artist, but he understands how to con women, right? Because he can flatter and stuff. And then they had the interesting thing where he and Morel get together and basically they're two like each other, right? Where she's like, I'm beautiful and I try to get rich men to buy me stuff. That and- is like the best scene. Yeah, and you're beautiful, and you try to get rich woman to give you stuff. So, yeah, we cannot coexist. It was like a Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson kind of like moment where it's like we cannot both be in the same room. We cannot coexist. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! And I feel like that's something that's an energy that I see play out now. You know what I mean? Where sometimes you'll see people who are like, uh, the, where the the trick doesn't work on the other person because they're both in that same lane. Right, right, right. Yeah, where well, you're trying to like, I'm dropping a line on you, and they're like, yeah, no, no, I've used that line, so yeah. I feel like so the, in the queer community, sometimes that happens, where it's just like, yeah, no, that's not gonna, that's not gonna work. <laughs> so um, we've talked about the plot and who did it, and you know, we've talked about like this long con that took too long. Um, we talked about so different- Catherine Gray ends up with we assume the husband of the dead woman right. who although he is of title and broke and looking for money well now he has money because he didn't kill his wife and right. he's got a bunch of money so in theory they're both independently wealthy coming together out of true love yeah and it was interesting because he um, so he's not after her money because he's got his own money right because his wife died but he didn't do it so it's all okay yeah and <laughs> he sounds like he really does love her i mean the, the question is of course um he didn't turn over a new leaf for his wife would he you know will he for and like i i was thought i would give that up for my wife but it wasn't realistic but with you it's totally well, different. It's like he's gonna do the same thing. He's gonna go find another Morel. But like to, what? To 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 his credit, they talk about them having lunch together. Like they, she skips over those scenes because yeah. But again, of- like let's say we had five fascinating lunches. If you had a friend who was like, I've had five fascinating lunches with a person. We're getting married. You'd be like, that's so nice. why don't you maybe you know take a weekend away together you know maybe meet each other's families maybe you know move in together like there's it's just like and again like you know moving in wasn't a thing but 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 i'm just saying that like again like i understand that there is some sort of implied time together but i don't think a, a, a marriage 
it justifies and like i don't get yeah and and but but they don't say that they're getting married just says that he gets out of jail and then goes to saint mary mead okay that's all they say at the end is that they okay well that's good yeah it's not like this happily ever after moment it's more like he's like well i really like her so let me go see about her and hopefully she's like well (laughs) there's been a lot happening you can live down the street from me and we can go on dates right see how this goes right because i'm assuming that she's a nice enough person that she's going to take care of the old lady with cancer until the end right seems like it yeah so um okay well that's better that's you're right that's better that that but also like they don't have they do talk about passing each other that they look at each other and they're like oh that's interesting i keep seeing you and then yeah. they have lunch a couple of times but they don't do the man in the brown suit i love him i would walk across hot you're right that is better than that because like in the man in the brown suit it's like i've met him for twice. three and a half minutes total and now i'm going to give my both my kidneys and you're just like whoa whoa yeah. and such an independent woman otherwise right right like in man in the brown suit and so in this one so maybe this is a more balanced like i really like this guy now that i know he's not a murderer for sure <laughs> it's super hot <laughs> well and what's interesting is apparently she knew figured out that it was night and because of she started noticing about how many times jewelry has been stolen when he was around but she didn't tell him and like he came and visited her and looked like a sheep apparently um and she didn't be like hey yeah she was kind of doing it on purpose like she was like i'm leading him on so that he doesn't think that i think that he's a killer even though i know he's a killer right i'm gonna wait right. for Poirot to reach out to me because it's again another long con for the good guys what right yeah and yeah so it, and then she was she's like i can't hold on much longer because when Pravo visits her and is like yeah we both are on the same page after a lot of waiting to reveal that and she's like i can't hold it out much longer so she's like i'm holding on pretending to like this guy which i probably do but actually he's a killer but i can't hold it out much longer and i was like but what was your plan because Pravo reached out to you so you what is the con here right. pretend to date the killer guy yeah i don't yeah so though i'm i'm a little bit confused about the time too because yeah they're in the riviera for a while and then she goes back to saint mary mead and poirot still hasn't found the right killer and i agree i can't figure out what was the like oh i mean yeah he met with the theatrical agent and found out that this woman who but nothing prevented him from doing that months or weeks or we don't know the time period here earlier there was no impetus that made him be like aha i can talk to the theater agent right and also of course as you pointed out it does not take a lot of theatrical training to be able to dress like the woman you work for if you're the same height um especially from behind because apparently she just put on her fur coat and like stood a wig the window and a wig and then um and then to put on an overcoat and look like a man for two minutes and walk off right so especially in a time where people aren't looking for a gender variant so they're like that's a man's coat that's a man right like in the 20s they're not like is that a woman in a man's coat right should i call them they i wonder what the pronouns are like no like they're just like that's a dude it's a dude coat it's a dude like So, it's not yeah. complicated. So yeah, so it so yeah, why didn't Perot 
figure this out. And so, like, the fact that Van Alden at the end is like, I hired him, but I'm super mad at him. Yeah, like... Yeah, because he didn't do anything for a very long time. And then he did do it. When he finally did, he drugged you through, like, reenacting your whole daughter's murder. Which is fucked up. Like, unnecessarily so, PTSD. Like... Right, seriously. So... I mean, in some ways, I really enjoyed it, and it's so much more Perot's, like, alley of, like, a bunch of rich people, you know, trying to figure out who killed. Um, yeah, I liked all the characters and stuff, but when it came to the actual... I think we love Perot because he's a genius more than all of us, right? Like, it's that Sherlock Holmes thing, but, like, he can see things we can't see. I had all the facts all along, but he figured out and I didn't, and it it didn't feel like that. Right, right. And so I feel like that was the piece that, like, was incongruent for me. It was, like, you wanted him to be more, you know, all-knowing, like I was saying with the narrator. Like, I, I wanted Poirot to be like, aha! But did well, you know that your maid used to do drag? Which right. she eventually did, but <laughs> it just it took so long. It was important for them to notice that Ben Alden started negotiating to buy the rubies a little over two months ago, and then boo boo doo he got a new secretary and his daughter got a new maid two months ago. Like, right. Um, like that. Right, so that really honestly could have come together a lot faster for Poirot as long as, as much as we're thinking. And she didn't, and this maid didn't have to be a world famous male impersonator. She right. could just be a person. Right. Because <laughs> it's not, yeah, it's not that hard. So, yeah, I don't but know. it's a good book, and there's a lot of good characters, and the love is more realistic. And I, I did like the fact that, like in in all areas, Catherine Gray, who's like I think the one we're supposed to identify with, never like throws herself at any man. She never does like the man in the brown suit. I love you. I love you. I love you. She just does. She's just like, yeah, he seems all right. Yeah. I mean, I like that guy, but he's kind of killy, so I'm gonna see about this other guy. But she never, he never, she never like does the declaration of right. She's giving yeah. up everything that I am for this man, which is new. You're right. right. You're putting that out like in this book. It's new that she's just like, yeah, he's cool. He can come over. We can go right. to lunch. <laughs> see, if this old lady likes him. If this old lady proves, and we'll see. We'll go to lunch again tomorrow. Right, right. So then, of course, to she does get fallen in love with by the super bad guy. And so that's nice. You doesn't matter, you know. You might be in love. And and I liked how you put it out that the like, does she end up with the like, bad boy or the good guy? And turns out the like they're reversed, right? Because the guy that seems responsible is actually Killy. And you know, does that relate to what happened in her marriage? You know, who knows? Like, did did it turn out that her husband, who she thought was a super good guy? wasn't you know right um all we know is that he was having an affair and left her but we don't know if like when she met him he she was like oh he's such a nice guy you know yeah and so who knows about the themes but yeah the love story is less you know i saw him across a crowded room and our passion was so much that we were driven to each other forever you know right um and then the age thing is interesting because she always it's interesting how much she talks about people's ages. Um, you know, I know that uh, Lady Tamplin was mid-40s and Catherine was 33 and Zia was 33. And 
I think Derek was 34 and um, I think Ruth was late twenties. Oh, really? Okay. I think so. I would have to. And then when they said that she was with the Comte de la Roche 10 years ago, that meant that she was a teenager when he was trying to like, yeah, exactly. Uh, Which is probably why her father was like, yeah, no. (laughs) Um, Right. And then, um, and then she married Derek. Um, Yeah. So it's interesting um, about those ages. For next episode, we have, um, isn't it? The and, seven in terms of novels, it would be the Seven Dials. But you brought up the great point that um, it's another Tommy and Tuppence collection. Collection, which we should really get into because there's not a lot of Tommy and Tuppence books, and we love Tommy and Tuppence. Yeah, we love them, and I feel like we've been like not on a great streak when it comes to the novels. So yeah, so and yeah. So, so if we went to Partners in Crime, yeah, which was published in 1929, and it's Tommy and Tumplin. So even though it's a short story collection, I'm thinking maybe we should do that before we go back to Seven Dials. I agree. I agree. So next episode will be Partners in Crime. So yeah, that'll be our next one. Uh, we've moved up to 1929, so we've now gone. Uh, we're up ten years of her writing. So it'll be fun to see how much she's grown. Okay. So, um, yeah. So uh, thank you for listening to the listen to this episode of Poirot Pod. We will see you next time. Or hear you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>